Greetings, fellow gamers and geeks. While it's been some time since we gathered around the podcast, life has not been without gatherings. We have our gaming group that we have been playing with consistently, and we are coming to you just a bit after TAGS. In case you missed it, TAGS, or Therapeutic Applied Geek and Gaming Summit, was a gathering of the tribe, yes. It was a collaborative between Geek Therapy and the Badana Group that was held online. The gathering included presentations from so many amazing people. You can check out the presentations by buying a media pass at event.tagsummit.org. That tag is T-A-G-G, summit.org. If you do so, you'll have an opportunity to watch the Role Playing for Change interactive panel that we did. It was myself, Brian Quinones, Tim Grant, and Brennan Jordan, and we did kind of an applied role-playing game uh, presentation, which uh, I figured we've done the lecture thing so many times, so it was time to kind of bring it down and do something a little bit different. So we did. Anyway, uh, I highly recommend that you check it out. Also, get your your uh, get your media pass because it'll get you over 100 hours of content on geek therapy, game therapy, role-playing therapy, superhero therapy, so many great things. And it's not just therapy. There's so much good information mixed into the Tag Summit. So get your media pass. It's not very expensive. And once again, you can get it at event.tagsummit.org. Now, on with the show. Uh, This episode was recorded back in the summer of 2020. Yes, a little while ago. I had the opportunity to talk with Chris Johnson, a teacher and artist who uses board games to make art. Check out our blog entry to find out find the links for Chris. Uh, Chris and I talked about a number of gaming topics as well as his art. It was a fun conversation, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. So check it out. Here we go. To Rolling for Change, a podcast about the transformational nature of gaming. My name is Woody Harris, and I am joined today by Chris Johnson, uh, who is there's there's a number of hats you have, I believe, but uh, you make art with games, which is what called my attention to you first. Yes, that's right. Hi, hi. Um, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I learned about you from just uh, being on a board game group, and you made this piece of art for, like, it's like the fist from Black Lives Matter, and it was just an amazing piece of artwork. But you created it all with pieces of games. Yes. And that was just fascinating to me. And then I found that you have a whole sort of like art shop based on the things that you're doing, making art with games. Tell me more about your process and how you came to this. This is an amazing idea to me to take the pieces and turn them into to art pieces. Yeah, I'm not really, can't quite remember how it originally began. I think it just started as, it just kind of hit me as an idea. Like, I should try to pull this off. I started this back last year um, with basically just doing a Christmas tree for, for Instagram. And I was trying to see, is this a thing that I could pull off? Could I collect a whole bunch of green and red pieces from my collection and make a Christmas tree. So I have a pretty big collection, um, over 650 games. Okay. So I, I figured I could probably pull this off. And so I started pulling pieces for this tree. And then I thought, if I'm doing this, I might as well just pull pieces for, I'll pull, I'll pull pieces, make a heart too for Valentine's Day, and I'll make a shamrock for St. Patrick's Day. And so that's kind of how it originally began. Just kind of a whim. Like, is this a thing that I can pull off? Yeah. Um, eventually, I put all these pieces back and after I finished making those. And then I later, I thought, that was fun. I wonder if I can do this again. And so I started jotting down what are a whole bunch of ideas that I could pull off. And so I started collecting more pieces. And I my original intention was to make the bird from Wingspan that bird on the cover of Wingspan, mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. thinking, what, what would be a sort of iconic board game image that would look really cool? So I picked that one. And at that time, Wingspan had, that was the exact time that Wingspan had just won all the awards. Yeah. Well, that's perfect timing. Yeah. 
And then uh, I was starting to make some other things. And then the whole Black Lives Matter protest scene happened. And I thought, well, that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm going to do next. Okay. Has there been any pushback from uh, other board game companies to say you can't make our images? Like, like Wingspan is the example you gave. Yeah, no, there hasn't been. Uh, the only one I've done with the with the image so far has been uh, the Wingspan. Um, as long as I'm just posting it, I'm not trying to make money off of it, then I see. it's it's fair use. It's, it's no big deal. I'm just doing an homage. Um, but somebody had contacted me and said, hey, I would love to buy a product with this Wingspan bird image on it. So uh-huh. I went ahead and contacted Stonemaier Games, and Stonemaier Games gave me their permission in that case. Oh, that's awesome. So... You, you got to talk to Jamie, and Jamie said, cool, it's, it's no problem. Yeah, basically, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, that's really good, because I, I think that, you know, one thing I, that kind of bothers me, or annoys me a little bit, I should say, is we have these amazingly beautiful board games sometimes. Like, I'll give, for instance, um, have you seen the game Abyss? I've played it, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, the artwork on that is just incredible. Yeah, it's gorgeous and artwork. I can find no way anywhere to take that artwork and put it up in my house other than reproducing it instead of like giving the artist the money. I will have to go and make a copy of the pictures and then put the pictures on my wall. And that's the way I can do that. And that that's fine, but I think that the artist should get the credit. I think that yeah. you know, we should be able to... And I understand, you know... No one's required to do anything to, to meet my needs, obviously. But uh, it would be nice to be able to display our love for the board games we love. And so this is one way of doing it, like taking Wingspan. But then also taking those pieces and turning them into other pieces. Now, do you draw it first? Do you draw it out and then put the pieces in the space that you draw it in? So that's typically my usual uh, method. Um, I'm not necessarily married to that, and I'm always... I'm always sort of developing and refining how I do things. Um, but for example, with the fist, yeah, that's how I did it. I got um, a very large piece of paper. Actually, my, the paper wasn't quite large enough. So I had to glue some papers together because we're living in a sort of <laughs> DIY um, COVID time where I, I just can't get out the supplies I need. Sure. So I glued some papers together. And um, I drew the fist on top of those papers, just the outline of the fist. And that way, that way, just give me a place to sort of place it. I don't always work like that. Sometimes I just work on a blank. So, I, so what I did was when I started this, the second iteration of this, was I got a very large white board, and I sorry, a large board, masonite board, and I painted it white, and I put that in my garage, and so I worked from there. So I just kind of laid out on there, and so in okay. this case, I drew the fist first on a large piece of paper. I cut it out, put it on the white board, and then started placing the pieces on top of that paper. Sometimes I just do it right directly on the whiteboard. Okay. And you are probably more aware now of the colors inside your games than anybody else I know of. <laughs> I think that's probably fair to say. I mean, that, that's kind of a, that's sort of become a joke between my wife and I. Like, we'll get a new game, like, oh, look at these colors. <laughs> I, I could use these. <laughs> well, let's play this game first. Yeah, we'll play it. And then, I'll, oh, these are nice. Look at the shape of these pieces. They're gorgeous. <laughs> So then you take these games apart. This has got to be like a painstaking process of putting it all back. If Unless you're creating a pile of games, you're like, I'm never going to play these games again. These oh, are no, absolutely not. No, no, no. I have every intention of playing the games back. All, every piece gets put back where it belongs. I mean, I, I love my games. I'm not willing to sacrifice my games for art. So it's like a sand mandala, basically. Except yeah, that you is, take a picture is. of it. I still take a picture. Although I guess you can take a picture of a sand mandala too. But yeah. That's true, yeah. I mean, I even, I even thought about that. Like at the end, maybe doing a video of like brushing all the pieces away a little bit like a Sam Mandala. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would be very open if anybody wanted like to commission a piece and they had, like let's say hypothetically, I can't actually imagine this ever happening, but hypothetically if a company wanted to commission an idea and they said, we, all, we happen to have tons of meatballs that we'll send to you. <laughs> in that case i'd be willing to glue them down if they wanted to have like an actual piece that they can put oh on like something you can actually like almost like a collage of yeah uh, that, board that game can pieces hang, that can hang in their office i'd be open uh-huh. to that but i'm not willing to destroy my own games like i still want to be able to play my own games yeah yeah so are is there a game that's are is there a game you're com- as your common go-to for your palette uh no i can't say that not necessarily 
So, oh, going back to what you were saying about uh, being difficult, and that's the one comment that I always get on social media whenever I post these is someone's always going to say, oh, it's going to be a nightmare to put that away, and it's actually not that bad. It's not a big deal. Okay. Um, I, have a, I have a pretty straightforward system, and so I'll go through the it, it takes time. So it's, it's not particularly stressful, but it does take time. So I'll go through and I'll choose pieces that look interesting. Um, I try not to have any generic pieces at all, like cubes. I'll try to have, if I if I want cubes, I'll only have cubes from like one game. Because that I don't want to deal with, oh wait, did, did this cube go to this game or that game? Like that's too stressful. Yeah. So yeah. I'll start cubes, with... Cubes would be hard, yeah. I'll start with pieces that are very distinct. As soon as I pick it up, I know exactly where that goes. Okay. Like this, this piece is obviously from Flashpoint Fire Rescue because it's the only game that has a 3D plastic fireman, for example. Yeah. So that's no big deal. I know exactly where it goes again. Um, if I want meeples, I'll take all my meeples from just one game and only one game. So I know exactly which game they go back into. That makes sense. Okay. And then as I take the pieces out, I'll take, I take photographs of the pieces next to the board, or next to the box, I should say. Mm-hmm. And then I have a file. I keep all that in. So if there's any confusion, I'll like, did this come from this game or this game? I just go back to it. Oh, there you go. No big deal. And I just, so when I'm done, I take everything and sort of categorize it into piles, put those in the bags, put those bags back in the games, put the, everything back in the spot, and everything's good to go. Okay. So even though, I mean, I, I'm hearing that this started a little while ago. This is not a COVID project, basically. Right, no. This, started, this had started, well, yes and no. It had originally started before COVID with the yeah. Christmas, my first three were the Christmas tree, the, Christmas the heart, tree and, the, and heart. the shamrock. Okay. Um, and then... After I put all those away, I'd wanted to come back to it, but it was always sort of on the back burner. Like, I, sh- I, sh- I want to get back to that again, but I didn't have time mm-hmm. because of life and jobs. And then once COVID hit, I suddenly had time. So it didn't start because of COVID, but COVID did give me a perfect opportunity to, to do the second iteration of this. Yeah, it gave you a lot more free time, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. And probably not as much board game time as you'd like to have in the first place. Yeah, although... To be, I do play a lot of games with my wife. So my wife okay. and I play a ton of games. So most of the games we've played even before COVID were two-player games. Um, okay. She's been having some health difficulty recently, which she's coming out of now. Uh, so recently, we we haven't been able to play that much, but that's not because of COVID. I see. Okay. Um, okay. But even when, like, even when I'm in the middle of making an image, there are still tons of games I haven't touched that we can play. Like, we have no shortage of games to play. Yeah, you said 600-something. You've got me beat. I think I've got close to 300 at this point. <laughs> it's a pretty large collection. And it, it's almost impossible to... I mean, you can't even play each one of those games in one year, can you? Right, no, of course not. <laughs> what are your go-to games that you're really enjoying right now? I mean, when when your wife is, is doing well and you guys are able to play or when you're able to get to a convention or hang out with friends, what are what are the games that you're excited Gosh, about? I see. We, in general, tend to settle on sort of mid-weight games. Okay. Like, we, we both like heavy, crunchy Euros, and I, I think I like them more than she does, but they're not my... I don't always go to them, mm-hmm. um, mostly because they, you know, you, there's a time commitment there. Yeah, there's um, a lot, yeah. And I don't know if heavy, crunchy Euros always work perfectly with two players, so our go-to games do tend to be sort of mid-weight games. So we've been going through the Harry Potter-Hogwarts battle, Okay. And we're just kind of playing through that until we get to, we've we got the monster box of monsters. So we've got two more games left to finish that. Um, I think her and probably my, our favorite games are like Azul, Azul, Sagrada, sort of that really not very particularly heavy weight. Uh, yeah. Wingspan, of, we both love Wingspan. Okay. Sort of those, though, that's that feel of games. Yeah, like hour and a half to two hours. Yeah. Not a huge time commitment like, like uh, maybe some of the heavier games are like Great Western Trail is to me that's a pretty crunchy one. Yeah, uh, we, I mean to be fair, we both we do like we do enjoy those kind of games sometimes. Like we're right now we're both really interested in getting the West Kingdom series. Oh, it's so good. That's what that's what I keep hearing. <laughs> Architects of the West Kingdom is just such a fantastic game. That's what I've been hearing. But when it comes down to it, we tend to just sort of settle in midway games. Like we have, we, we got root before the pandemic, and we just haven't okay. because of her recent uh, health concerns. We just haven't had time to break it out. But we're both very excited about that. Sure. Okay. Um, taking it 
in another direction, you also had mentioned that you, I think, have a board game club at schools or you use you use games in education? Yes. So that's another reason that my my collection is pretty large because there's games yeah. that we'll never we'll never play, but they're like they're perfect for, for the classroom. Okay. Uh, so my day job is I'm an elementary art teacher, and oh, okay. I I've always wanted to share my passion of games with my kids. And I don't do that during class time because it doesn't really work with it doesn't work with our curriculum at all. So I had started a after school board game club at my school. Okay. And that's gone really well. I've been doing that for many years now. And as a way of sort of uh, helping out with that, I can't think of the right word, of not supplementing, but as a way of getting my kids more familiar with games, I would mm-hmm. I started inviting kids to lunch to play games at lunchtime so I could teach them games. But over the years, that's developed into, hey, anybody at school who wants to come at lunch, just come at lunch. Well, I'll, I'll play games with you. So I have uh, kids from third grade to sixth grade, like on, on Friday, before COVID hit, of course, okay. on Fridays, my entire lunch time was taken up with, with kids from every grade coming to my room, just playing games. And that was fantastic. I loved doing That's that. That's awesome. So as a way of building off of that, I started a board game lending library in the school. So I, it's still in my art storage room. I would mm-hmm. love to move it to somewhere better for now. Uh, but I started as a, in my storage room, I have a couple of shelves where I put games up. Kids, anyone, any kid in school can come, sign the game out, play it, bring it back. As long as it stays on school ground, I do a quick little check and make sure it's in decent quality when they return. Mm-hmm. And it's been working out really well. Kids have been borrowing games, like really decent, high quality games. Like some kids who don't know anything else, you know, they're going to go for Uno because that, yeah. that's the one yeah. thing they know. But I'm really surprised that kids are borrowing some pretty interesting games. Like, um, you know, nothing nothing super heavy because... Sure, because they, they wouldn't have, have time anyway. They wouldn't have time. It's the big issue. Not that they couldn't because kids do play kind of crunchiest games during board game club. Okay. Uh, but in school, in the school day, they don't have time. But they'll yeah. borrow things like The Mind. Okay. Um, things of sort of that weight. Okay. That's certainly something that I wouldn't have expected. How How does, how does your administration respond to your your what you've done here so my my administration in general is very supportive of me you you know with if i want to do some kind of off-the-wall art project or if i have an idea uh, my administration is pretty supportive um they i mean they're not gonna not buying me games necessarily and the games i have are are from my collection uh people have donated some things okay um there is a danger too of I'll have situations where parents say, oh, this is fantastic. I love what you're doing here. Take my seven copies of Monopoly. Like, eh, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not exactly what I'm going for here. So many copies of Monopoly. <laughs> exactly. By the way, listeners, drink. Uh. Oh, <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> I forgot all about that. It's a long-standing rule because I don't think we've had we we might have had one or two episodes out of out of sixty-something episodes at this point where we didn't mention Monopoly. Yeah, and I saw that you had a whole episode in it, but I, I forgot about <laughs> we it. We did, now. yeah. <laughs> it was just a silly episode, but it was our it was it was sort of a Christmas present to listeners. <laughs> um. So my administration is pretty supportive. Um, it's still in the art room, and I would like it to migrate out of there because just the space issues but that's a whole other issue i'd have to get buy-in from the librarian yeah yeah so of course rolling for change is about how games can change us and your art suggests that you know you found a different way to see games but you know even if it's just a hobby you're you're using games in a different way than we're used to using them and you're also talking about using your games in a school setting do you see things where the kids or even people who are viewing your art, so it's kind of two-pronged question, do you see things where people are having a different experience in their lives as a result of what you do? Yeah, I think so. And again, I'm biased because I of love games. So I'm naturally going to be looking for that anyways, and probably no matter what I see, I'm going to interpret it that way. So I am biased, but I think I do, yeah. Um. So when I, when I do the lunchtime games, 
I have the sort of the gamer kids of the school. They come, of course, because yeah. they, that's what they want to do. But I really try to welcome and reach out to the non-gaming kids, the kids who you normally wouldn't think of as gamers. Okay. Um, and I've invited them, and I think that's gone really well. Like I've had students in my class who have just had a difficult time in art class itself. And when they come to play games, there's a completely different dynamic there. Like all of a sudden, like all that tension that we, it, it, you know, sort of normal classroom tension, nothing big, yeah. but any tension that might've been there sort of, sort of just disappears and we're all, they're all laughing. They're having fun. Um, let's see a couple of anecdote, anecdotes. Sure. Uh, one is I had of this group of girls who, uh, if I try to describe them, they, they tended to be sort of bickering, I would say. Okay. And they would come and they would play, fine, we're going to play games. And they would play One Night Ultimate Werewolf because for some reason, as soon as anyone is a new person to the lunchtime group, they all, they're always going to play One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Even uh -oh, if I, I say, hey, if you love this, you should try these 17 other games too. <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to play One Night Ultimate Werewolf. <laughs> so I would notice that they would play it. Okay. And they would, there is a certain, um, a certain tendency of people who play Werewolf. When they first play it, they'll, they're not really sure what they're doing yet. And so yeah. at the end, they'll still just point fingers at each other. And you look like a werewolf. I heard a sound, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. Everyone's just kind of pointing fingers, and they're arguing. Yeah. And then they get the wrong person, and they try it again and again and again. And over time, they just sort of relax. They relax into the game, and they start, eh, let's think about this. Let's, this whole bickering thing isn't really working out so well for us. And so they really start putting a lot more thought into it, but they're still having fun at the same time. Okay. And I've noticed with those particular students, like just regular classroom tensions really died. Like when I went, we went back to the art room, things were just, things were a lot friendlier. They put a little more thought into their work. And again, I could be exaggerating because I'm looking for it. I'm, sure, you're biased, I'm, I'm biased and, and we're both games. evangelists of board games. Exactly. But you may be seeing, maybe, if we put it in broad terms, it may be that they're learning how to manage uh, being a little more logical as a result of playing the game multiple times and realizing, well, you know, doing the same thing over and over again isn't any fun. Exactly. So when they're when they start bickering with with this particular game, they realize, well, this isn't going anywhere, and and we keep losing. And then they start putting more thought into it, and then they start going, "Hang on, what about you? What were you? Were you were the doppelganger. Hang on, what were you before? Did you switch cards?" And they started putting a lot more thought into it. Okay. So um, some logical skills being built. I think so. And yeah. I'll say more, even more social skills. I think those, that particular, and again, this tends to be the habit of people who come into the group for the first time is they always gravitate towards One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Eventually they move on to other games, but they always gravitate to One Night Ultimate Werewolf. And they tend to do this particular cycle again and again, where they all start off just pointing fingers and saying, I heard a noise and I think it's you because, because I don't like you, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. And then this happens again and again and again with new students who come in. I've never even thought about One Night Ultimate Werewolf being sort of a progression of starting from a very, you know, simple premise where people are kind of like knee-jerk responses to situations and then later on getting to the point where it's like, "No, no, no, we can do this differently." Cuz I think the times I've played myself have been it's it there's almost a political weird thing that goes on where it's like it's about facial expressions and it you know it, it, there's a there's a little bit of a almost like bullying towards the one who stands out the most uh. and eventually it sounds like you could have a progression from that to get to a point where it's more based on how I'm handling the situation in the moment that that's fantastic to me i never even thought of that uh, you said you had a second anecdote. Oh, so some other anecdotes were, uh, I had a, I'm trying to remember the game. The game was, oh, but wait, there's more. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, I'm not. It's a party game. Okay. It's actually a really good party game where you have to sell a ridiculous product. So everyone has the same product. So like say, let's say a spatula. So a card comes out, the card says spatula. Okay. And then everyone has these ridiculous features that they have to use to sell this game, to sell the product. And we're going around, and they you score a little bit like a apples-to-apples apples type scoring, where everyone goes around, they give their pitch, 
And then as they're pitching, they have to flip a brand new card that they weren't expecting. And they say, but wait, there's more. This okay. product also does this, this ridiculous, this, you know, makes, sh- whatever. I, I can't think of an example right now. Sure. Um, but you have to add a ridiculous premise to this card. Then you have to try to sell it as best as you can. Uh, so I had a student in art class who was a brand new immigrant. And he spoke a little bit of English. But in art class itself, he never spoke. He was a very quiet kid. He was very, you, you can tell he was very insecure about his accent. He was very insecure about his English. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, as a teacher, I work with him and help him to express himself through art as I normally do. Um, so one day, his friends invite him to board game lunch. So he comes over to board game lunch. They're playing, but wait, there's more. He's got this card in front of him. He reads the card. He's got this pressure of having to justify it. and. For like a, this little pocket of time, he completely forgets about his insecurities. He completely forgets about his accent. And he's just going into character. He's trying to sell this thing. And it was like my my inside of my head jaw just dropped because I had never seen this from this kid before. Like he was completely uninhibited about his accent, about his language insecurities because he was just focused on trying to sell this ridiculous product. Okay. So that's awesome too. Now, now you've got me wanting to get a copy of. But wait, there's more. There's yeah, another game that's similar to that. That is, uh, it's called Snake Oil. Yes, I have that too. Yeah, they're both. It sounds like they're both great party games. We really enjoy Snake Oil when we play it because there's just always ridiculous selling trying to go on, and yeah, we take actually, on the roles and try to be, you know, good salesmen who are cowboys who want to sell laughter masks or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, I actually tend to prefer, but wait, there's more. I think there's just a little bit more game to it, and the pitches get a little more ridiculous because in Snake Oil, each person has a different. There's one customer, each person is a different product. But yeah. in this, in but wait, there's more. There's one product, but with different ridiculous premises. Okay, all right. And then the other anecdote I had was with. Um, I was just I just had it in my head and it escaped me. Oh, the game Cockroach Salad. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I'm, I, I've seen it, but I don't know anything about it, really. Okay, so Cockroach Salad is another... It's, it's a light, super light... Kids, I say kids game. It's, it's basically a kids game, but adults can play it. But it's super, super light. Uh, but the idea is that you're flipping cards over, and depending on the situation of the cards, you have to either say what's there or you have to lie. But okay. one of the, the... What makes this game stand out is this one silly rule that you're never allowed to say the word um. You, you can't, you're not, it's called a stutter rule. You can't stutter, you can't say um, you can't go uh, 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 when you're trying to think of it. And you have five seconds. I, I say five seconds. I forget. I think the actual rule book says three seconds, but I say five seconds. Okay. So I noticed this game really became very interesting as well when I would, would be playing with kids at lunchtime. And I would I would have kids who were usually seen as ADHD in the classroom. They're pretty hyperactive. When they start playing this game, they're just messing up and they're collecting cards and they're having they're laughing. But you can see it's a little bit frustrating because they keep saying um because they're very active. Within, yeah. I would say, no more than five minutes, these kids who just can't sit still for a second are calm. They're quiet and they're just going tomato, cauliflower, pepper, tomato. And they're just <laughs> focused because there's something about a game that just focuses you very differently than anything else. It's almost like um, when I was younger and healthier, I used to play Ultimate Frisbee, and I hated exercising because it's tedious and it's frustrating. But I, it, when the, a Frisbee flies through the air, like that's all I would focus on is that Frisbee. Like I don't care how, how much my muscles hurt right now. I've got to get that dang Frisbee. Yeah. And I think it's a lot like that. When they're not running through routines or worksheets, they're focusing on this game, and they're, they're just focusing on not collecting cards. And they have to say, tomato. And they can't be goofy, they can't be silly, and all of a sudden all their their focus issues have just have just disappeared and they're suddenly incredibly focused. Interesting, okay. So it it sounds like it, you know, it, it's almost like we're saying for an ADHD child that there's a kind of focus that you can get if you just do a certain type of activity. In this case a game. Um, I've seen it happen with video games too, where it's like uh, a child doesn't do well with like paying attention in math, but by God, I got it when it comes to to uh, Final Fantasy, right? You know, I'm I'm really great when it comes to Minecraft. Right, right, that kind of thing. It's the it's the same kind of thing that a lot of adults are like. Well, that just proves 
that you should be able to do the math too. But it, it's there's a different focusing technique that happens in games that I think isn't there in most of our educational process. Yeah, that's exactly spot on. And I guess it's probably harder in an art class. But do you gamify anything in your art class? You know, I've been thinking, obviously I've been thinking about a question for years now. And the answer as, as of right now is no. Like I've, I've thought of ways, and I want to be very careful with gamification because there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Sure. Um, and I, I see a lot of examples in school of people doing it the wrong way where it's focused on what I might call, and I, I don't know, remember where I heard this term, um, but I would call it chocolate covered broccoli, where you're using games not as a way to inherently teach an idea, but mm-hmm. to sort of cover up what you sort of manipulate kids. And I want to be very careful not to do that. So finding a, a good authentic way of teaching the kind of content that I teach in an art room with games, as of right now, I haven't found that. Like I know there's art games that I can use, and I've used a little bit of like Telestration before. Yeah, I was just thinking Telestrations was a good thing. I, I've, I've done a, like a tiny bit of Telestration just for, yeah. I, I sort of made it up, you know, everyone grab a stack of paper and follow these directions. Um, but it wasn't really, that was more of like a day we had where we, hey, you know, we've got like half an hour because mm-hmm. of some interruption or whatever. Let's, let's do something fun. Um, but as far as a, a good way to gamify the contact that we do in the art room authentically, I haven't found a way to do that yet. Yeah, it seems like it maybe it would be a little bit harder with uh, something as, I don't want to say nebulous, but something as abstract as art because art, uh, unless you've got a particular, I mean, I guess you've got a curriculum, but does your curriculum include creative skills or is it more a curriculum of learning about how to identify art and, and see art? So our curriculum uh, is sort of like a guideline of certain ideas and concepts that we should teach that students are expected to learn. And as long as we're sticking to that, we can interpret it freely as teachers, as professionals. Um, so I tend much more to an, to an idea called project-based learning, where you start with an idea and the, the, the project. And the project is very creative. There's tons of creativity there. But to do that, you have to teach the skills. So almost all the things that we do tend towards creativity and then using art skills, learning art skills is a way to enhance that creative, that final creative project. Okay. Art skills being like how you draw this or how you paint that. Is that right. what we're yeah. talking how, about? How, okay. do, how do you show for, how do you show distance? How do you show illusion of depth? How do you um, use basic techniques, stippling and cross hashing? How do you show shading? How do you use the correct um, clay techniques, et cetera? Okay. Okay. I, I don't think I ever had much of a picture of what was going on in my art class in in elementary school, so it's interesting to hear that. I, I I think in my mind, it was just whatever the teacher wants us to do today, we'll do it. <laughs> yeah, basically. There's no there's no curriculum here. We are here to be creative. <laughs> so, so that's neat that, that that there's a curriculum to that. Um, so yeah, I think gamifying that is a little bit harder. Um, and I, you know, you you said chocolate broccoli, and I think of it as that spoonful of sugar kind of metaphor, where it's right. Like, we're gonna get it down you, and somehow we're going to make it more palatable. Right. And yeah. It does. It does sometimes seem like that's coercion as opposed to like uh, reward-based learning. It's hard to know the difference sometimes in coercion and and reinforcement learning. Right. So there's the idea of sort of in intrinsic learning, where a, a good game will by by the mechanism of of the game and the engagement of the game, you're sort of intrinsically learning the thing that you should be learning the content as opposed yeah. to um, a roll and move where I roll three spaces and then I do this math problem. Yeah, and, and games that seem to be made for the specific purpose of education, and I'm not saying this about all educational games or even all therapeutic games, but a lot of times it, 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 it's almost like we've got this concept we want you to learn and we're going to throw a game into it as opposed to having a game that we're going to throw a concept into. Exactly right. I think, at least for my part, and I, you know, I haven't got to talk to a lot of kids about this, but I, I think for my part, watching from the outside, it looks like a game that's a game first and provides the education second is more powerful than, you know, the other way around, where it's like, well, we're going to teach you how to manage anger with this management of anger game. 
Exactly. No, that's uh, we're going to teach you how to manage anger with uh, a game of Jenga, or we're going to teach you how to manage anger with any game in which you're you're like put in a position to be frustrated a lot. That's a better choice than to like specifically say where we're going to give you anger management training or something. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit like um, my anecdote of playing Cockroach Salad, where just by the fact of having to focus on the cards and not stutter and say the mm-hmm. correct word within five seconds, just intrinsically fo- teaches the kids to focus on the cards, as opposed to a, a morality game where you roll a die and you get the situation, then what would you do? And which just feels yeah. inauthentic. It does feel like... Roll and move, I'm, I'm sure it's good for some age group because you're learning to count and you're learning to to follow rules and things of that nature. But beyond that point, I don't think there's anything it can teach us as we get... There's almost a game progression, right? We start out with these very simple games, and then after that, it's like, that's boring now. Let's try something that's a little more powerful. Yes, but even then, like even for very, very young kids, there's still a lot of amazing games out there. Yes, that that I, will I do that, that will do roll and move and count so much better than a typical roll and move game. That's true, and adults still play Talisman, <laughs> <laughs> which I have no. I have I, I I do like Talisman. It was one of my first board games that kind of matched a D and D sort of feeling. So I, I like Talisman. I don't want to. I don't want listeners to think that I'm poo pooing Talisman, but it is a roll and move game. And so it's not a complex set of decisions that you have to make. Your decision tree is typically pretty small Yeah. in Talisman. So we've talked about the educational side. Is there, and I recognize that this may be a little harder to pinpoint, but have you seen a change in yourself or a change in others as a result of the art that you create with board games? Yeah, that, that is definitely hard to pinpoint. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's hard to pinpoint. I'd agree. I, don't, I can't think of it. Nothing really pops to mind right now. Yeah. Well, certainly I, I the symbols of, of the art have had maybe a controversial impact, especially in that group that I was was seeing your art in that first time. Obviously, people thought, well, you shouldn't be making political statements with board game pieces right. and things of that nature. Right. What and was that like for you to see so much, like almost fight back and forth between people about your piece of art? I mean, that's that's great. I mean, if um, let's see, when I when I did the the heart for valentine's day right there was there was no, no not much reaction to that that's a good point so yeah. you know it's it is a little bit of virtual signaling so i did the the, the protest fist the raised fist and the board game piece and, and there's a little bit of virtual signaling in there but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i think i think most art is virtual signaling and that's going to lead to discussions and i think that is a conversation that a lot of us are having in the board game community right now and that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, I, I think it's a good thing. I, I think that the the conversations that came out of that, although some of them were just derisive and and not helpful, which is all, what I expected, frankly. Okay, and this whole idea of virtue signaling, it, all statements have a political background. I think that that may be a little really broad sweeping statement to make, but even the heart. I mean, there there's some political statement that's being made there. It's just not as controversial as the political statement that's being made to put a Black Lives Matter symbol up on a board game group. Yes. So also, it seems crazy to me to, for people to say that we should divorce these things that we do that already have political backgrounds in the first place. Mm-hmm. We should divorce those from the the state of the world. Yeah, exactly. And I think that also leads to a larger conversation about you know some of the content in games. Like when you have games about uh, colonialism or exploitation, yeah. like I think we're having much more of conversation about those kind of games right now because of people who are bringing these these issues to the forefront. Forefront. What games come to mind when you think about this colonialism concept? Uh, Puerto Rico. I was thinking Puerto Rico, <laughs> <laughs> which I've actually never played, and you know, and I, I'm well aware it's an amazing design. I just that that whole concept kind of makes me a little icky yeah um yeah. i know i think is it endeavor or maracaibo There's, i, I don't know it, either of those i've seen those and wanted to play but i don't know anything about either I think one of those one of those games has this sort of colonial 
aspect to it, but it's not really overt. But there is a card of slavery where you could play that card to, you know, to profit. And then people say, yeah, 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 yeah but you don't understand because the card could you could end up backfiring on you, which I think is besides the point. Like you could play this card of slavery and train brown cubes to increase your, to win the game, which is, you know, there's a conversation that we as board gamers are having more and more now. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing. And we did, uh, it's been a while back. It's maybe about the ninth or 10th episode we did, but we did an episode on the kind of the, the dynamics of oppression that are put into board games um, it was a fascinating discussion. I hadn't even thought about a lot of the different things, but of course, you know, five tribes is a good example because you yeah, exactly the, the slave card in there. And I know that they have changed that now, which is interesting to me too. So the board game community is listening and making changes based on that. But one of the things I say about board games is they're reflections of us. They're reflections of what they go, what's going on in our world right now. And exactly. So, there have been some undercurrents of of racism and colonialism that have been thrown into board games almost like without thought that we're now starting to be able to see because we're opening our eyes to a different way of looking at the world. That's I, I, I like what you said. That it's really good that people are having this conversation. And your your Black Lives Matter symbol may have resulted hopefully resulted in some some good communication about that that was meaningful to other people besides just being, you know, here's somebody who just isn't on my side of the picture. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, too, that I noticed when I did the... Um, prior to that, I had done the pride flag in the board game pieces. I did a mosaic okay. of board game pieces to make the pride flag. I posted those in the same spots, too, on the BGG Facebook page and the Dice Tower Facebook page. And I got tons okay. of support, and uh, there was no controversy with that at all. Interesting. Yeah, that, okay. I thought that was really interesting. So when I did a pride flag, there was no controversy. People were like, oh, this is great. You're being inclusive, and you're using board games in an artistic way to show support for the LGBT community. This is fantastic. And when I did the Black Lives Matter fist, um, of course, there was tons of that, too. There was, there was a lot of appreciation for that. But that's when I first got, when I, when I got the backlash. Yeah, so it does it does put something out in the open that that people take a stand on and seem to fall on one side of the issue or the other, which is, as I say, surprising to me because it doesn't make any sense to me, especially not if they're going to accept uh, a flag, uh, you know, a rainbow flag. It, it just <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. The the different reactions between those two artworks. Yeah. At the, at the very least, it says that the community as a whole has been more accepting to the LGBT community than it has been to the black community, which is a terrible thing to realize. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And, and But nothing controversial per se was going on at the time you posted the flag. It was probably during Pride. Yeah, I did it for Pride Month, right? Yeah. So So that could... that I think that's that a was less, it on the tip of our tongue right now then you know right, it's not so topical there aren't giant protests and right. it's it's not as divisive yeah and to be fair people see what's happening from two different perspectives without necessarily being against uh the idea of the protest just being against what's what the outcome of the protest is so there's a lot of stuff going on there it feels like right i agree with that so you yourself, you're a board gamer, obviously, 600-something games in your, in your library. Um, have you seen changes in you as a result of being a board gamer? Again, that's really hard to say because, you know, it's like the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the frog being in the boiling pot, for lack of a better <laughs> metaphor. Like it, it's really yeah. hard to, to, to be that self-reflexive over time. Um, I really don't know. I mean, I, in general, I see changes to myself overall. Like, I, I'm not the same person I was several years ago, you know, and I'm yeah. always obviously striving to become better and a better person. Um, so, but I don't know how much of that I contribute to board games and how much is just daily life. Yeah, like it's hard to separate out because I, I think there's daily, so many things going into making who you are right. in, in the moment. And I think daily life has had much more of an impact 
on who I am now than board games. I would just, I think my knee-jerk answer is, no, I just really like playing games. Okay. Now, that's not to say that it doesn't change me. It probably does. I'm, cer- I'm certain it does. It's just in very different ways. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it might be hard to tell when it does. For me, uh, as someone looking out at my own board game play, I know that there is a chance for change or a chance for self-reflection when I get into a space where it's all broken down. Like, we're so used to being hammer, nail, boom, hammer, nail, boom, and doing what we need to do. But then when it breaks down and it forces a self-reflection back to what's going on in me right in this moment, what's going on at the table right now, why am I having conflict with this person that has nothing to do with anything, those are the moments that I get, okay, now I have a chance to make some change. So maybe there is a call to change from board games as opposed to being that board games operate on us and at some subliminal level making changes to us I, I think it's more about the choice points we reached where it's like yeah that's a stressful choice point i want to see what i can do differently with that than, instead of come out on the other end like you know an alpha player or like a yeah uh like someone who just wants to beat somebody down because we've i don't know if you've had those games i've had those games where oh, it's I like, oh i'm gonna show you <laughs> I'm, I'm boom definitely. boom boom <laughs> yeah i've played terraforming mars sure <laughs> yes <laughs> So it, it, I think it's a self-reflexive current that we have to ex- create within ourselves to, to, in some sense, create ourselves at the table. And as a result, that we, we can create ourselves in, in daily life as well. Yes. I mean, that's a really interesting question in one way because I absolutely believe and evangelize for the idea that games can change kids. Yeah. And I see it happen all the time. Um, but I don't see it in myself as much. That's, that's really interesting. Again, part of that is that maybe it's just really subtle. Like if you're yeah. if you're actively engaged, you're not noticing the change of the learning taking place because you're focused on the goal of the game. So it might be really subtle. I think one one change I think that sprung to mind, so a little bit of my history, when I was in college, uh, I had a friend who, I was not a gamer. And I had a friend who was into games. This is back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And yeah. he had all these games I'd never heard of. I was like, oh, these are awesome. And I would go over to his place and play these games, but I just couldn't get them. And I was like, well, this is, this is way too hard for me. And I think that had an impact on me. Like, I think I started to see myself as a person who wasn't able to grapple with these, almost like the hard math, I guess you could say, like the yeah. difficult, these difficult issues. And I think that I saw myself as less than because of that. Um, later in life, when I started getting into games, and I started, this is just amazing, fantastic. I still shot away from heavier games because I still saw that as part of myself. Mm-hmm. And I would play games with my gaming group. They were heavier, these heavier Euros. And that would come back. That would come back to the forefront. Like, I didn't quite know what was going on. I felt lost. I was like, well, this is, there's something cool here, but I don't quite, I don't get this. And then that was also a reflection of, of myself. Like, I saw myself as less than. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as I played more and more games, later, much later, actually, I remember there was almost a, a specific point when it happened. It was playing a game of Scythe, and okay. I wasn't getting it. And somebody won, and he did this move, and I said, okay, poop, there you go. The game's over now. And then I got it. And then I thought to myself, well, why didn't you just say that before when you're teaching the game? And then I had this, this like, epiphany that, yeah. oh, no, it wasn't that I'm not able to play these games. It's that these games had always been taught poorly to me. Like the people who were teaching them just a really bad job teaching it. So I went back and deliberately looked at these games that I, I was overwhelmed by. And I looked at the mm-hmm. rules and I go, oh, that's all it was. That's nothing to it. That's all it was. And I realized I actually can. Like I, I brought myself to a point where I realized I can play pretty much any game if I take the time to really get it. And the reason I thought of myself as less than was that the games had just always been taught very poorly. That's an interesting realization. So I, I think going back to your question of did it do games change me? I think they changed me in that sense. Like it really gave me a lot more confidence when I had this realization. Like I can play any game out there. There's there's no game that's too hard for me, as long as I take the time to really learn the rules for myself. Yeah, and and teaching is such an important skill when it comes to games. Oh, it's so crucial. If somebody teaches you a game badly and you have a bad experience because of not understanding the game, you don't want to necessarily put it all on them that it's their responsibility for your experience in the game. 
But to some extent, if you are playing under false pretenses, it can exactly. be it can be really challenging to suddenly realize that those pretenses aren't true. And exactly. to come back to it again after that is is I'm sure not very easy. I'm I'm sure if Josue was here, he would tell me that that's the case because I've <laughs> I've taught him badly at least on one occasion. Um, yeah, and I actually prefer teaching games myself because I, partly because I love sharing my love of games with kids and, and with adults. Yeah. Um, but also because I, I, I think so many people don't do it well. And, and, I, and if I want someone, if someone's going to enjoy a game, I want them to really grok it and really understand it and grasp it before they, well, as they're playing it and not say, well, what's going on here? So I, I imagine you feel like you have come up with a good way to teach people. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, 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 and I, I love teaching games, and I start with sort of the essence. Like, what's this game about? What, what, what are you trying to do in this game? I think mm-hmm. most people teach games chronologically. First, you're going to get this card. Then you're oh, going to move yeah. here. Then if you want to, you make this decision. And you think, well, why would I make that decision? Why, what, what's this all about? What am I trying to do with this? So I start with sort of the big picture. Here's what the, I, the essence of the game is. Here's why you're going to like it. I'll hit on the, the things that make the game great to kind of sell that in the first place. And okay. now here is how you – sometimes I'll start with the end game. Like here's how you end the game because if you understand that, then everything else is going to make more sense. So I really try to mobilize the picture first. Like this is what the game, like this game is a a game about getting gold, right? What's what's uh, the or something to that? What's the point of the game? Yeah. Why is it anything more than just grabbing points? Exactly. Because of course that's that's what the game is. It's it's about winning points, but it's the process of getting to those points that can be meaningful. And of course, theme can take a big role. So, like with Scythe or with you know we talked about uh, Wingspan with those kind of knowing what you're looking to do in the first place can help to frame everything else that you're working on. Yeah. There are so many games that I've played where it's like, I had no idea what was going on in the game. And it was because yeah. I didn't really understand the concept of the behind the game. Yeah. And, and that can really make it challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it's playing, really um, frustrating. playing great rest and trail once. Yeah. And the guy who owned the game brought it to us and he had played a couple of times and we, we went, we went to the game and he won. And at the end of the game, he said, oh, yeah, I really went for the train strategy because that's I noticed that that's how you win. You, you, if you're not going for the train strategy, you're going to fall behind. And I got really irritated. I said, why did you not tell us that when we're learning the game? Like, why did you keep that secret? That begs the question, if somebody's got a strategy about a game, should they be teaching you that strategy so that you're both on the same playing field? Yeah, I, I think they should. Have. I, I'm on the side they should um, because to me, it's not as important – if you if I win the game, what what really matters to me is the person I'm teaching it to. How much do they enjoy it? How much do they understand it? How much do they really grasp it? And how much do they enjoy it? And if I'm keeping information hidden so that I can win, to the extent that they're enjoying it less, then that's a problem for me. Yeah, because you're you're not you're not meeting your goal anymore. Yeah, because my goal isn't to win. My goal is to have the other person enjoy the experience. Yeah, get them involved in it so that you guys are enjoying it together as opposed to it just being, well, I'm, I'm the only one who knows this game, so I'm, I can't play the game. <laughs> right. I mean, it's a little bit, oh, shoot, I was going to say the obvious one <laughs> that was going to make you drink, but, uh... <laughs> 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 but fine, I'll go for it. <laughs> Luckily, I don't keep shot glasses around at my desk when I do these, <laughs> when I do these podcasts. <laughs> But I think an analogy might be like winning Monopoly and saying, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you about that hotels. Yeah, those are really important. Oh, yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> Not a great analogy, but you get the point. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a missing piece of information that, that completely changes your, your strategy and structure of the game you play. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. And, and as someone who tries to learn to teach people, I know for one thing, one thing's for certain. I have to play a game more than twice in order to be able to adequately teach it to somebody else. Absolutely. Unless it's something really simple. I mean, the mind may be simple enough to just teach in one or two sittings, but you know, you get to something like Scythe or you get to something like Twilight Imperium, God forbid. I, I I think I still need 20 games of that before I could teach anybody how to play that game because I don't understand yet how to play the game. So I used to have a, a business, a side business, where I would, um, 
I, I sort of phrase it as a traveling board game library or traveling board game cafe where I would bring okay. these foldable shells of games into venues like wineries and cafes and, oh, wow. uh, and then host a game night and then people would come, they would play the games, they would spend more money and then the venue would pay me a fee for that. Okay. And I did that for a while. And that's kind of how my whole Instagram and Twitter account got started from that. Um, and then I stopped that because of COVID, obviously, because that's not going anywhere right now. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> that's, that's not a business is working right now. Right now. So the reason I bring that up is because, like, that was another venue where I would. It, it was almost entirely non-gamers coming out, and I'm. Yeah. And then I, you know on, I'm on the spot having to teach them a game really quickly, and you have to break it down to its very very essence, make sure they really understand it, because these are people who've never played games before. But they would play like, hey, what is this, the mind? And so I would teach that the mind. And I'd have to, I'd have to find ways that they can immediately grasp it and really, really get it. And mm -hmm. that worked out great. Like people would play the mind over and over and over. Or they'd pick up Santorini and they'd say, this is fantastic. I had no idea games are like this. <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I sort of trained myself into a position where I can, I can teach games uh, pretty efficiently. Yeah. And yeah, if you know your stuff, then you can really, I mean, that evangelistic, uh, gene that's in you can go a long yeah. ways. If, if I tried to teach some games, it's just like, no, I can read the rule book to you, but here, <laughs> you might want to might want to watch Rado. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rado's a great resource. Yeah, Rado and Rodney, both those guys uh, do a great job of teaching games, so I, yeah, I, think, uh, I watch them to try to learn also. Rodney Smith is my go-to. Yeah, okay. Well, so you have an Instagram account, um, and you have other outlets that you you show your artwork in, and presumably talk about your your games. Um, how can people find more about you? So uh, they can check my accounts. I'm usually the starting player, some version of that. So on Instagram, I'm at starting player. On okay. Twitter, I think it's the starting player P. Okay. Um, Facebook, I don't really do much at all on Facebook, uh, but same thing. I think it, I think it's just starting player on Facebook. Uh, I started Facebook as a way of picking up like a local audience for the business, but you know, with COVID, I just I dropped all that for now until we'll see what happens okay. with COVID. Um, yeah. So that's 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 where I'm most active. Oh, I've got a, a small little TikTok. I don't do much with that, but sometimes I put goofy stuff on there. Uh, okay. that's same thing, starting player. And is it game related on TikTok? Yeah, it's all game stuff. It's 100 percent game stuff. Okay, starting player. Excellent. I, I will have to have a, a look at that. So that, that's a lot of ways that people can get in touch with you or find out more about your stuff. Or even you've now created um, a, I guess it's a account with, what's the t-shirt company? Oh, Zazzle, yes. Zazzle, yeah. So, so that people can get your artwork on shirts, mugs, yeah. Whatever else. Whatever else, exactly. So Zazzle has a ton of merchandise. So if there's anything that that you're interested, if anyone's interested in something with one of my pictures on it, then go ahead and uh, just send me a message and I'll I'll make that for you. Um, so after the the fist went really big on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of people started asking for products. Um, but because it's a sort of pre-existing symbol, like I, I don't want to give the impression that I'm trying to make money off of a movement. Sure. So for for the protest fist, any proceeds I'm getting for that, I'm donating. And same thing for the pride flag. Any, any proceeds I'm getting for the pride flag a mosaic, I'm donating uh -huh. to um, the It Gets Better project. But there's other there's a bunch of other pictures too, which is all the stuff that I did that proceeds go to me on those. Has has there been anything original that you've done, oh. as opposed to like uh, you know you're you're recreating symbols that exist in the world? And I get that that does make it kind of suspect to say that that's going to be my business model, right? Which is why I have I don't want to make any I don't want to make any profit off of the I don't want to make any profit off the raised fist or the pride flag for that exact reason. Like I don't want to cash in on somebody Absolutely, somebody else's yeah. Um, yeah. iconography. Um, yeah. So I also have, yeah, I have a couple of color mosaics that I did for Instagram. So I have a mosaic of just blue and just gray. I have this gray piece where it's just sort of like white in the middle mm -hmm. and it, it gradates into shades of gray until it becomes black on the outside. Um, I am going to be working on more stuff in the future. That's a little more original. 
Um, okay. And I'm, so I have some ideas of getting into maybe some more abstract images that a little, a little more original stuff in the future. Um, yeah, right now, let's see, I'm working on a flower right now. That's pretty original. I'm not in love yeah, with it, but cool. it's coming, it's coming along. Okay. But I have ideas okay. of more original art in the future. Yeah. Um, I'm also open if anybody has like, Hey, I would, you should do this particular idea. You know, as long as they're not making a profit, but if someone just has an idea, like it'd be, it'd be fantastic. Yeah. I'm open. I'm open to suggestions. I'm open to ideas. I'm open to commissions. If someone has like a logo that they want to commission, I'm open to that. Well, we're open to new logos for uh, Rolling for Change. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, I mean, not as far as designing a logo. I meant taking an existing logo and yeah, uh, recreating it with board game pieces. Okay, I see. Okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, our logo was already created from an existing thing. We took, you know, Dark Side of the Moon and put the meeple in the middle of it. So <laughs> that's we're not, not exactly idea. original there. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Between the quote, but the Andy Warhol quote is, bad artists copy, great artists steal. Well, Chris, it has been a pleasure to talk to you, and I, I really enjoyed learning more about your art and your educational projects at school. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for coming to talk to me yeah thank you this is delightful you've been listening to rolling for change a proud member of the amazing geek therapy network if you'd like to find like-minded geeks in an all-inclusive environment then go to geektherapy.com and you can join in the party we're always on the lookout for new content and listener engagement you can send an email to us at gamers at rollingforchange.com our theme music is by rocket scientists check out more of their music at bandcamp.com thanks so much for listening and keep on rolling for change Oh,